everybody. I am Claire. And I am Scarlett. Welcome to season two of our podcast called Girl Sense. Our show is created by us and our mom, Katie, as a place where we can give you our two cents. You know the phrase that means giving our thoughts and opinions on what matters to us? We have continued to learn more things to share with you and are back for even more episodes. This podcast has really taken off. Their dad and I are so proud of the experiences it brings and the conversations we're having. The ideas and concepts we talk about really are made by them and what they're learning. Let's get get started. Listeners, today we have a very special episode for you. Our famous woman we wanted to talk about was Madam C.J. Walker. We read her book, watched a movie, and were prepared for this episode, but it gets even better. Today we have a very special guest, her great-great-granddaughter, Alilia Bundles. My sister and I have many big ideas for when we grow up. Tell us how did your great-great-grandma get started? Well, she got started, as you know, you've heard the phrase, necessity is the mother of invention. And she had a problem with her hair. She was losing her hair and she needed to find a solution. And finding the solution led to her business. So we all have things that are kind of, you know, may bother us or problems that are unsolved or hurdles that we can't get over. And that was really what motivated her. She wanted to solve a personal problem. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. So like you, I grew up in Indianapolis. I went to Grandview Elementary School, which now is a private school at 64th and Grandview, I think called Somerset or something like that. But I went to public schools, uh, went to Grandview, then I went to Westlane, and then I graduated from North Central High School in 1970. And I was a kid who always loved to read, and I also liked to write at eight years old. Around your age, uh, I discovered that I liked writing and I wrote an essay about going to the moon. And one of my mother's friends who was a school teacher read the essay and she thought it was really good and she sent it to a children's magazine. So I had a story published when I was eight years old. So I thought of myself as a writer at a very early age. And when I got to junior high school, writing was my hobby. And I mentioned that to one of my teachers who said, oh, you should start working for the school newspaper. And that led to me working for the school newspaper in junior high school, in high school for the college radio station, and then having a long career as a journalist. You know, something else I will mention to you that that I've noticed with you and with your mom My parents really encouraged me to follow my dreams. They knew that I loved writing, and I went to a couple of journalism summer camps, and they really wanted me to follow my dreams. They wanted me to find the thing that I was passionate about, and I'm really grateful for that because they were both in business. They both worked in the hair care business, and they could have said to me, oh, you should follow our footsteps. But they wanted me to create my own path. I think that's so important that parents recognize what makes you excited. Well, and this really did come up organically because they were interested in podcasts in general. And then 
they decided after they were reading all of these I Am Who Was books, then they said they should make a podcast about it. And then here we are. It keeps getting better. Here we are. Yes, right. You fo- you followed your passion. <laughs> and who and knows where it will lead? <laughs> and probably probably couldn't do this because one Christmas we got like a microphone that inspired us to actually start doing this. So yeah. And you know, sometimes if you just, if you have a vision of something and then you put it into practice, then it becomes reality. My sister and I are Hoosiers and the state of Indiana has a big part in your family history. Can we, can you teach us about that? So my family history, in addition to Madam C.J. Walker moving to Indiana in 1910, I actually have a much longer history in the state with my family. So my grandmother, whose name was May, May was adopted by Madam Walker's daughter, Alelia Walker, who I'm named after. But May's biological family actually moved to Indiana from North Carolina in the 1820s. They were free people of color in North Carolina, but they wanted to, they were being, they were being made uncomfortable in North Carolina, free people of color, because it was still a time of slavery and they were being made to feel uncomfortable in the state of North Carolina. And they moved to Indiana um, with the Quakers, a Quaker, Quaker families helped them move to Indiana. So they were in Indiana, uh, even around the time that Indiana was just becoming a state. So I have a long history that tells kind of American history and Indiana history with members of my family, with my grandmother's ancestors who moved from North Carolina to Indiana in the 1820s, and they were there for several generations. Eventually, uh, Madam C.J. Walker moved to Indiana in 1910, and she met one of my grandmother's family members who lived across the alley from her in Indianapolis and who went to the same church, Bethel AME. And they became friendly. And then because my grandmother's father had died, her mother wanted her to have better opportunities. And so she agreed to allow Madam Walker's daughter to adopt my grandmother. So I have a long history in Indiana. You know, there are a lot of people who who don't know the history of African-Americans in the state of Indiana. And I can really tell that story through my family from the 1820s to the present day. Are you making a connection about Quakers and moving to Indiana that we visited that place? Do you remember where we visited? Um, the Levi Coffin House. The Levi Coffin oh, yeah. House. I studied some about that. Great. Well, you're, you're very, you're fortunate to be learning this history now because it really does, all these dots do connect and it helps you understand when people say when people are you know kind of not informed about history then you'll be able to help inform them we have been thinking about writing a book you also are an author tell us about that so i um really am so happy that i wrote a book i was encouraged by a number of people to do this. So I had this great story with Madam Walker, but believe it or not, there had never been a book written about her. 
And the first book that I wrote about her was really a, what's called a young adult YA book, really for middle school readers. And you guys are, you know, you're good enough readers that you could that you could read it. Um, that book was called Madam C.J. Walker, Entrepreneur. And a friend of mine who was a history professor at Harvard was the advisor for a series of books called Black Americans of Achievement. And it also included women of achievement, world leaders of achievement. And he suggested that I write this book. And I did that in 1991. Then I've now I've written three other books about Madam Walker, including On Her Own Ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker, the book that was the inspiration for the Netflix series, which I think you've seen. So writing a book is, um, for me, especially because I write nonfiction, it takes a lot of research. Uh, it takes a lot of fact-checking. But I'm really very interested in kind of writing the first draft of history. As a journalist, I learned how to do research. I learned how to fact-check. And I learned how to write and rewrite. So I would tell you that some of the secrets to, for me, for writing a book is to decide your topic, uh, then create a system of files that allows you to keep your research organized. Now, I do this in paper files because I started doing it many years ago. You can probably do it on Google Drive and Google Docs and you have your ways of organizing your material. But it's really, that's the key for me is keeping the material organized. And so here's one little tip. If you're going to, if you decide you're going to write a book about a historical figure, you what you might want to think about is creating a file for each year of that person's life. Now that may seem a little excessive, but that way you will, whatever happens in that year, the year they were born, you can say, oh, the year they were born, there was Haley's Comet. Or the year they were born was a presidential election year, and you create context for telling your story. And then it, as you go through the, their lives, you may have specific things. They graduated from high school, they graduated from college, and you have all that material. And then when you get ready to sit down and write, you have all of those little bullet points. Now, this was some advice that was given to me by Alex Haley. And I don't know if you know who he is. But Alex Haley was an author who wrote a book called Roots that was a very popular and famous TV series. And he also wrote a book called Malcolm X. And Alex wanted to write a book about Madam Walker, and I became his researcher. Alex never wrote that book, but he was a mentor for me. And he's the one who gave me this idea about organizing the material. One of the other things that he taught me is that whenever you write something, that the best writing is rewriting. So you write a first draft and it's kind of messy and the sentences don't always make sense, but you write that, print that out from the computer and then take a pen or pencil and make edits and change words and move sentences around. And then ultimately, it may take you several drafts, but your piece, your writing will be much better if you have done the writing and rewriting to get to your final polished draft. Do you find that to be the case when you're preparing something, that sometimes you have to do it over and over again? 
sometimes we do it at school and it's like a sloppy copy in our notebooks. And then she gives us a certain paper and we rewrite it on that paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, the first draft, it's it's not supposed to be good. It's supposed to be just, as they say, throwing everything up on the wall. And then you say, well, this word, I like this word. I like this sentence. Maybe I don't really need that sentence. Maybe that's extra and extraneous. Uh, and then ultimately you get something that's really sharp and really honed and really polished. Tell her that we read one of her books. Was it? The all about Madam C.J. Walker. And kind of what she was describing, we paid attention to the timeline at the end. Yeah, it had like what happened when she was born, like then something that happened in history at the same time. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when you're when you decide whatever you want to write a book about, because you can you probably can write that same kind of book that I did all about Madam C.J. Walker, because it's not a long book. But it does tell her story in a short fashion. But I think that timeline is a good way to start any book you might want to write about a historical figure. If you start with the timeline, then you've got then you have the, you know, the sort of the headlines and the highlights of that person's life. And then you fill it in just as if you were, you know, it with with a coloring book or with a puzzle. You start with the outline and then you fill in the other pieces you fill in the color in between at school we learn about nonfiction and fiction as an author and journalist can you tell us about this in your family story when the way we hear about it may be different absolutely so you know i love a really great novel a really fictional work i'm in a book club and we read mostly fiction uh, and I enjoy the storytelling. I enjoy the writing and the poetry that fiction writers, that novelists uh, are able to create worlds. But my training as a journalist also makes me really partial to facts and to fact checking. And so a nonfiction book really has to be documented and really has to have multiple sources and citations so that you make sure that your facts are correct. So I can appreciate both factual uh, books and journalism and history and biography, and I can appreciate novels and poetry and fictional uh, books. So when I wrote On Her Own Ground and all about Madam C.J. Walker, I was writing, as you know, uh, nonfiction. And so everything that I wrote had to have some kind of documentation, had to have some kind of primary source, whether it was a letter or a newspaper article or an interview. And But as you know, sometimes people will write uh, what's called historical fiction. So they will take a historical figure and maybe they'll read a factual nonfiction biography, but then because they need to fill in the blanks and make things more dramatic, they will write a fictional version of that story. And that's what happened with um, the Netflix series. I wrote a fact-based book and then the Hollywood uh, writers and showrunners, showrunners is another name for the person who is managing the production, the showrunners and the head writer 
decided that they needed to, I guess, from their perspective, spice it up a little bit, make it more dramatic, create conflict that might not have been there in reality because they wanted it to be, you know, more interesting to the audience. So I had, um, I I thought Octavia Spencer was really great. Every time she came on the screen, I was just, I, I thought that she really embodied Madam Walker's perseverance and guts and courage. But I didn't like the things that they made up, that they tried to create a competition between two women. That's kind of a cliche that the, that two women are at each other's throats, that they're fighting each other. That's just Hollywood likes to do that in some ways because it's kind of lazy <laughs> if you have two women fighting each other. So I wish they hadn't done that. Yeah, did her competitor never did in real life come to Indiana, right? Like in the movie, she came to Indiana, but in real life, that was not true. No, that's right. In real life, in real life, her competitor, whose real name was Annie Malone, she had her own business in St. Louis. She was, you know, very successful. She was a big philanthropist. She employed thousands of women. And yes, they were competitors and I don't, and they were not friends. But um, they were both really strong, successful women. Yeah, competition, it makes the world go round, right? That's right. That's They're right. Inspired Steve by Jobs, other. Bill Gates. <laughs> Our podcast has mostly been about successful women. And Madam C.J. Walker was the first recorded female self-made millionaire. That's what I call success. <laughs> Tell us any secrets to her success. So, yes, she was very successful. And I think that she is still an inspiration to other women because her life was so difficult when she was a child. She was, as you know, she was orphaned at seven years old. She did not have a lot of formal education. She married at a really young age. She had a child when she was a teenager and then her husband died and then she Because she didn't have a lot of education, she couldn't really get a good paying job. And so there were a lot of women like her during that period of time. And so when they saw that she had, in many ways, transformed herself from a poor, uneducated washerwoman into a successful businesswoman, that inspired lots of people. And I think one of the things that for me is so important in telling her story is that she learned from other women. She was mentored by other women who were more educated, who saw that she really wanted to make her life better. And she learned from women in her church at St. Paul African Methodist Episcopal Church that they could, that they helped her see herself as something other than an illiterate washerwoman. And that she then used the kindness that had been shown to her to try to help other women. And when she created her beauty care products company, she was solving a problem that many women had. They had scalp infections. They were were losing their hair. Her shampoo and her Madam Walker's Wonderful Hair Grower helped them solve that problem. But as she was teaching those women and traveling around and interacting with them, she realized that, yes, they wanted that hair care product, but what they really wanted and what they really needed was education and a way to make money 
so that they can help their families and educate their children and buy homes. So she is, for me, a success story, not just because she became a millionaire, but because she really helped many generations of women become educated and economically independent and leaders in their communities. You know that you've made an impact when many generations are still talking about that inspiration, right? Mm-hmm. That Exactly. So um, one of my favorite quotes that she has is, perseverance is my motto. <laughs> That's one of my favorite ones. My favorite is, don't sit down and wait for the opportunities to come get up and make them. Do you have a favorite? So I love both of those quotes. And I would say that one of my favorites is, I got my start by giving myself a start. And I think that's what she said to other women. But both of the things that you said are really important to inspiring other people and to letting people know know that she she had a lot of obstacles to overcome, but she was really intent on making her life better. She wanted her daughter's life to be better, but she also wanted the women in the larger community to have better lives and to have better opportunities. And she knew that it didn't come by just waiting for it to happen, that you had to be perseverant, that you had to um, get up and make the opportunities for yourself. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to tell us that we didn't ask about? You know, I'm just really thrilled to meet you. Can I just say that? I love that you are um, sort of taking matters into your own hands, that you are curious, that you're trying to learn, um, that you are trying to educate other people. So I just, my, you know, my hat is off to you for taking the initiative to do that. And I will, you know, so I'll say to you, I just finished writing an essay for my 50th reunion from college. Now, I know, I know that's impossible to believe, but in May, I will be going to my 50th reunion. And my college has, they do a big deal for the 50th reunion and they put together a book where we write essays that, you know, sort of thoughts about our last 50 years. And one of the the things that I talk about in that essay, and I literally just hit the button before I dialed in to talk with you, just how grateful I am for my parents, for the education that I got in Indianapolis, for the teachers who believed in me, for uh, the books that I read in the library, Grandview Elementary School, for the chance to work on the school newspaper. So I know, I just can't imagine what you're going to be able to write at your 50th reunion. And what you're doing right now will be the seeds that you planted at this stage in your life that will blossom into many opportunities and many adventures as you go through your life. Thank you for um, having time to interview with us. Absolutely. I'm I'm flattered that you wanted to talk with me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, girls, for sharing your thoughts and your ideas with everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time on Girl Sense.